When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is sponsored by HarperCollins and Stowaway by John David Anderson. When scientists discover a rare and mysterious mineral in the Earth's crust, they have no idea that it happens to be a material so precious that alien forces are willing to start a war over it. Soon, Leo and his family decide it's best for them to leave Earth behind. But when their ship is attacked and Leo's father is kidnapped, Leo and his brother find themselves stranded in space. Now the only chance they have is for Leo to stow away on a ship of mercenary space pirates to help him find his father and maybe even help save Earth. This is from acclaimed writer John David Anderson, author of Ms. Bixby's Last Day and Posted. And Stowaway is the first in a new sci-fi duology about a boy who becomes a stowaway on a spaceship in order to find his kidnapped father. It's perfect for readers looking for adventure-packed stories that are out of this world. Again, that's Stowaway by John David Anderson. Welcome to SFF Yeah, a podcast dedicated to all things science fiction and fantasy. This is episode 110, and we are recording on August 6th. I'm Jen Northington. I'm here with Sharifa Williams. We're coming to you from Book Riot, and today we're doing SFF Potpourri, a.k.a. a grab bag episode, because if it is good enough for Jeopardy, it is good enough for us. (laughs) (laughs) Precisely. It is a weird but sweetly scented melange of SFF. And <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Yeah, it, we just were like, what if we just talk about the things we want to talk about today instead of having a theme? <laughs> so that's our theme. We're just going to talk about stuff we want to talk about. Yeah, I love it. I love shaking things up, going a little rogue once in a while. <laughs> got to keep it fresh. We right? do. We do. We got to keep everybody on their toes, too. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> but before we start talking about our news And our picks for today, I'm going to tell you about our sponsor, which is Flatiron Books, publisher of Once Upon a Broken Heart by Stephanie Garber. From the best-selling author of Caraval, the first book in a new series, for as long as she can remember, Evangeline Fox has believed in true love and happy endings. Until she learns the love of her life will marry another. Desperate to stop the wedding and to heal her wounded heart, Evangeline strikes a deal with a charismatic but wicked Prince of Hearts. How far would you go for happily ever after? So this book is described as a dazzling mix of mystery, romance, and magic by Karen M. McManus, who is the author of One of Us is Lying. And... It's the first book in a new series about love, curses, and the lengths that people will go to for happily ever after. So thank you to Flatiron Books, publisher of Once Upon a Broken Heart by Stephanie Garber for sponsoring today's episode. News time. News time. What do you want to talk about first? I think I want to talk about this. Actually, let me talk about this big news. I think it's big news for a lot of epic and high fantasy nerds out there. I was really excited and kind of surprised by it. So from Deadline, reported by Peter White, we learned that the Valdemar Universe fantasy book series is in the works in adaptation for TV. And this is coming to us from Kit Williamson. Uh, Williamson, Brittany Cavallaro, and Radar Pictures. And I thought this was so interesting on so many levels. Firstly, because there are so many books in the Valdemar universe. Mm. So many books and so many series because most of them... So the the universe is actually broken up into numerous series. Most of them are trilogies. Some of them are duologies. Um, But basically, the books cover about 3,000 years of history. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> so I was like, wow, firstly. And then secondly, I was really interested because one of the first books that really got me into fantasy was from the Valdemar universe, and it was the Vows and Honor duology, mm. which I loved in high school. I was obsessed with those books and wanted, it was like the first set of books I wanted to just share with everybody. And so I was really excited when I was reading more about this. Um, so first of all, it's coming from Radar Pictures is the producer of Jumanji, which I found interesting. Yeah. <laughs> But more interesting even than that is that uh, Kit Williamson, who created Netflix's LGBTQ comedy series Eastsiders, is adapting this uh, TV series with author Brittany Cavallaro, who wrote the Charlotte Holmes series of books. And I was really excited to see that they came together to adapt this because they both bonded over the books in school. And so this is like they have previous history with the universe. They know each other already, and they obviously have a passion for the story. And I was nosy, and I was like, how did these two people randomly meet and become very successful? But they went to an arts academy together. So uh, that's why. there it I is. Like, <laughs> I had to stick my nose into it because I was like, that's too coincidental. Um, yeah. But I was really excited to see that because it made me feel like, you know, they are already invested in this work, and it's particularly important because this is a queer story uh, with an openly gay protagonist, Vaniel, the persecuted and abused son of a noble. I didn't read this series of books, so I don't know as much about it, uh, but it sounds like it follows a lot of the themes of the books where there is an animal companion, which is always amazing, something I love. So... Um, the protagonist companion is a magical horse-like being, and Vaniel sort of has a a sort of coming of age, a learning about himself, a sort of Bildungsroman type situation happening here in the story, and it's very high fantasy. It's everything you love about world building, it sounds like. So I'm just like all around really excited about this, um, and... I could probably talk about it for an hour <laughs> just because I'm like flailing my hands and arms and things. So uh, did you did you learn about this news and, and feel any sort of way? Yeah. So, OK, so several things. Okay. Firstly, I don't think we had previously known that we are both Mercedes Lackey fangirls. <gasps> so that's. An exciting discovery that yeah. you're hearing live on this podcast. Like I had, I also read l probably almost everything Mercedes Lackey had published in my teen years. Like I just read all of them, uh. and so and it's funny too because I actually recently revisited this trilogy. It's the last Harold Mage trilogy that they're starting with. Yeah. Um, I revisited this for Get Booked maybe last year. And I reread the first book in the trilogy uh, to as part of like, oh, would this be good for this question that came up on Get Booked? And I had forgotten so much. I had remembered some and forgotten a lot. And I was just like, oh, maybe someday I'll do like a full Valdemar reread because I just remember, yeah, falling so hard into it. I will say that my first response to this was, uh-oh, because oh. Vaniel lives an extremely traumatic life like there is a lot of trauma mm -hmm. in all of Mercedes Lackey's books but yeah. definitely in these books and a lot of queer trauma specifically so then but then you know I was like I don't I don't know how I feel about like how well are they going to do this but then you know I do feel better about seeing that it's this pair of adapters you know Kit Williamson has some has some credit already and then Brittany Cavallaro, I actually moderated an epic fantasy panel with her on it uh, earlier this spring for her new trilogy, cool. which is uh, a second world fantasy. Yeah, that's inspired by like Russian folklore and it has a lot of angst in it. So I was like, OK, so she knows <laughs> how angst works. Like, I feel I feel like that makes me feel a little bit better. Like, OK, like they they're like ready and they're prepared. And the fact that they have read these books in school and like come to it with some personal. Personal history also they're not just like 
to producers looking for their next, you know, Game of Thrones fix or whatever. It seems like they have a little bit more grounding and hopefully Mm. some more thoughtfulness that they will bring to it. So I'm tentatively excited. (laughs) I am also nervous, though, because these books are rough. They're really rough. Uh, A lot of dark stuff happens. And... I just am curious to see how they're going to handle that. I mean, it'll be years probably before we know the answer to this question. But I am tentatively excited, and it does make me want to do a whole Valdemar reread, which I 100% do not have time for, given how many (laughs) books are in that series and how long they are. But I want it. I want it. (laughs) Come on, Jen. It's only 3,000 years of fiction. Like, good lord. Oh, man. But it is really interesting to see this series. Like, you know, when you think about what fantasy series is next going to get the tap, because everybody is looking, right, for their next fantasy HBO Game of Thrones success, right? We've got The Lord of the Rings. We've got Wheel of Time. um, And now we've got maybe Valdemar, you know, alongside of The Witcher and all of these other ones. And it's I'm going to be super curious to see if this one makes it to the screen. I I am. Yeah, me too. And I also hope that they if if all goes well and uh, this one is adapted to the satisfaction of us all, uh, <laughs> I would be so jazzed if they did end up adapting Vows and Honor because that book has an asexual character. Oh, yeah. Which is also like it was the first time I'd ever encountered that. Uh, yeah. Mercedes Lackey was out there repping for queer folks for like real? back in the day. Yeah. Back in the day. I mean, and it's not without problems. Uh, we'll right, for yes. sure say that. But but still, yeah, I think I think her books were a, a lot of us seeing ourselves on the page for the first time, honestly. So cool. So cool. Well, that that was exciting news for me in adaptations. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Where do I want to go? I have I. Uh, uh, okay, okay. Let's go do some more adaptation news. Um, there is now an air date for Amazon's Lord of the Rings series. Uh, Tor.com has a piece reported by Andrew Liptak. It's coming September 2nd, 2022. So a year from now. But it means that the series, like, production is completed, we have a release date. It's sort of fascinating to me how, like, we have a release date, but we still don't even know what it's called. Like, they, it, they still haven't oh. said what the heck this series is called. We know it's set in the second age of Middle Earth, which is, like, way before the events of The Fellowship of the Ring. Um we're expecting to see some of Sauron's rise to power, but we don't know for sure. We like have very few facts, uh, except for that we know there's a massive cast. We know it's been renewed for a second season, but like we don't know anything particular about it. So, but we have an air date, so that's yeah. something. <laughs> like I would imagine that now that there's an air date and production is done, we will start hopefully to get some more actual details about this. Yeah, it's going to be it does feel like it's very cloaked. We like it feels like we've been talking about this forever, but it's like tribs and drabs of information. Like there's Mm -hmm. something very exciting there. But I don't I don't even know if it's that. I think it's just that everything is going so slowly with production lately for various reasons Mm. we are all aware of. But um, it is exciting to hear that there is going to be a debut date, and it does sound like, you know, if anything, I guess the excitement can come from the idea of having a sort of virtual vacation via this setting because it sounds <laughs> really cool and sweeping and epic. But yeah, I am forever going to be curious about who's cast in this and what kind of characters we're going to see. Uh, but it feels like I am so far removed from the Lord of the Rings stuff in general mm. because it feels like all of that was like the movies came out a decade ago or something. But uh, always excited to hear Lord of the Rings news. And I am still on the fence about whether or not I will like watch it right away anyway. So mm. that's super impatient, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> 
I am sort of dying of curiosity. I did a I did a big roundup of like the state of the Lord of the Rings fandom for Book Riot uh like oh, a month yeah. ago or that was so. A good one. Yeah, it was fun to put together and I like dove back into everything, which then made me re excited for stuff, you know, because I was sort of swimming around in it yeah. for a couple of weeks, especially the fan art, which was amazing. Uh, but yeah, and and then looking at that cast and like noting that they had talked about how important diversity was to the studio as a whole, and like making these franchises that they're doing international. Like, I want it to be good yeah <laughs> I really I really want it to be good and inclusive and like have some solid representation so I I am I am sort of anxiously waiting to see what's gonna happen with it so now I, at least I can start my countdown clock I guess like yeah for September of next year so yeah stay tuned yeah that's really that is exciting I'm sure a lot of Lord of the Rings fans are like on the edge of their seat waiting for this um well, I just I had this like super random uh I ran across this article in Entrepreneur and it's by the Entrepreneur staff and actually it's translated from the Spanish edition. So when you see the note for this in the show notes by the way, the link um is some of the there are some typos and things there it's just because it's translated by an AI. I just wanted to give that note first of all. Um but it's about the first hotel in space that is set to open in 2027. And I was just like, I happened upon this article and was like, this is very like we are living in a science fictional world. And this happens Mm. once in a while where we get some news about something in development where I'm like, wow, we're really in that place. That is super weird. And so first of all, before I give my whole opinion and spiel, um, What's happening is that there's this foundation called the Gateway Foundation, and apparently, according to this piece, it was created specifically with the purpose of building the first hotel in space. And it sounds like, from all indications, it will be inaugurated in 2027. And so they describe this resort um, that'll have artificial gravity and will be able to accommodate 500 people. It'll have a gym, restaurant, bar, and, you know, like the resort-style amenities you might expect. Um, And there will also be, like, I think it says that there, yeah, simulated gravity. So. It'll seem sort of normal in there, I'm guessing, but they describe this whole thing and um, they they do say that the price, it looks like, will start around $5,000 to stay in there for three days. This does not, it doesn't look like this includes like your actual trip there, which I'm like. Yeah, right. So this was what was really like, it was making me think a lot, especially in these times where we have certain people like going on their own personal missions to space. And like, of course, when these stories come up about advances in technology and where we're going and how our reality is starting to mirror science fictional universes, a lot of the time what comes up in my head, especially with stuff about like, you know, uh, technology that lives in rarefied spaces is like this message we see all the time in science fiction about like, classism and Mm. where we direct our focuses and how we spend like how we have technology has evolved and what it means when we focus on certain types of technology like technology only certain types of people can afford and things Mm -hmm. like that and so this story just sort of made me think about that it was kind of a reminder of like well we're spending a lot of money on things that are really like on one hand very exciting but like I think I can't help but think about things in this sort of science fictional framework and also actual reality framework of like right. well there is a lot <laughs> there's a lot happening in the world there's a lot of struggling and a lot of you know poverty and Sometimes it feels weird to read these stories about, you know, well, we're building a resort in space and there's this whole foundation whose whole sole purpose has been to, like, build a hotel. So I I just wanted, like, to bring this up as a thing that was a sort of interesting tidbit of 
science fictional IRL news, but also like something that just made me think a lot. <laughs> yeah, I am with you. It's, you know, it's so funny because if y'all will allow the reference, I was, this came up this week. Uh, we Swordstone Table is a collection of um, King Arthur short stories that Sharifa has a story in and that Yay! I edited and that we we were doing an event for it uh, earlier this week at the time of recording. And Alexander Chi's story takes place on Mars. Yeah. I swear I'm going to connect this. So Alexander Chi's story takes place on Mars in a future where a bunch of like private missions went to Mars and set up their own, you know, habitats or whatever. And like some of them are like ongoing reality shows that are generations long and you know Bjork's granddaughter has a mansion and like <laughs> he he based it all on actual things that are sort of happening in the world right now like obviously not the Bjork's granddaughter bit but like there literally are missions that are like to Mars that require people to like sign away life rights for television, for example. Like these are all things yeah. that are happening. And this is that kind of thing where it's like, right, because it's space, there's nobody is like in charge, as it were. And so like private interests have just as much room as government interests, at least as far as I understand it at this point in time, to develop whatever the hell they want, whether that's, you know, a reality show set on Mars or a hotel floating in near orbit in space. Like, they can do that, question mark, and charge whatever they want. (laughs) And, like, on the one hand, like, sure, new frontier, like, it should be open. But on the other hand, yeah, like, who benefits and what resources are being directed to do these things and you know I guess when it's private interests like we don't really get a say on like yeah you know them using their money however they want which is how capitalism works um (laughs) but I yeah I feel weird I feel weird about it too like on the one hand who doesn't want to go stay in a hotel in space right like I absolutely want to do that thing on the other hand there are probably more pressing concerns that should be addressed first and also I will never be able to afford that like ever in my life I will never be in the bracket that will be able to do that thing so yeah it's yeah here we are the clashing of nerdy interests of like oh my goodness something cool is happening in space and like the yeah. sort of you know social awareness part of me that's like I don't know how to feel <laughs> right it's like let me ruin this for you yeah. with my social awareness like here's a cool thing let's ruin it yeah. I mean it's but that's just life right like that's literally just how life works I'm pretty it sure is. at this point in time this is just what it means to be in the world so I'm with you I don't know how to feel about it yeah. Well, everybody can read the story and, you know, determine for themselves how to feel. That's right. And I won't be in your head judging you, I promise. <laughs> no, no, there's no, this is a no judging zone, no. Uh, at least in terms of that. So here, okay, two quick things. First is 100% exciting as far as I'm concerned. There is recent news uh, published on Tor.com from the staff that the Locked Tomb trilogy is now the Locked Tomb series. Tamsin Muir is adding a fourth book to the series that started with Gideon the Ninth, much beloved. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the fourth book is called Nona the Ninth. And that will come out in fall 2022. And Electo the Ninth, which was the previously announced third book in the series, is actually going to be out in 2023. So I am so excited to have more in this world. I'm obsessed with this series. I love it so much. It is so weird and disturbing and wonderful. And yeah, there's, I mean, I'm, I don't know what to say other than that. I'm excited about it. <laughs> I literally, I was like clapping my hands at like, they give the, a sort of, it's not even really a, a synopsis of what the story's about. Like, I have no idea what it is about, but I, I yeah. clap my hands at the mention of at least one extremely good dog. Yes. <laughs> because that always makes me happy. And if there's anybody I want writing about good dogs in, uh, science fiction and fantasy it's Tamsin Muir because she's so humorous and 
wonderful and an amazing writer. And I love animals and stories. I can't help yes. myself. But yeah, I'm with you. I was super excited about this. I, you know, I wasn't, I couldn't remember when Electo the Ninth was coming out. And usually I would be like, oh, it's coming out like that late. But knowing that Nona the Ninth is coming out, like, I guess relatively soonish. It makes me really excited. I just want more from this whole world. Like, yes. just give me whatever you can give me from this. Yeah, world. like keep going. It's yeah. fine. <laughs> yeah. So really, I'm I'm really excited about this too. Yeah. And then my last quick thing is just I, I this is a recommended read. Uh, recently on Book Riot, Lindsay Manusos put together a guide for silk punk, both what it is and what it definitely is not. And I think it's super important reading for any genre fans, because I have seen a lot of people labeling anything that's inspired by East Asia mm. uh, in sci-fi fantasy or written by an East Asian descent author as silk punk. And that is incorrect like it's it means something very particular and I who thought I knew already I was like oh, I'll read this and I'll be like yep I knew that I found out things I did not know so from me to y'all go read it I'm gonna leave a link in the show notes it's super interesting and it will give you some books that I definitely recommend you read so yeah heads up on that, that. mm-hmm All right. Well, that concludes our news section. I will now tell you about our next sponsor, which is Harper Perennial, publisher of When the Reckoning Comes by LaTanya McQueen. And this book sounds intense, y'all. The plot is that Mira, our main character, fled her small segregated hometown in the South more than a decade ago. But now she's back in Kipson to attend the wedding of her childhood best friend, Celine, at the Woodsman Plantation, which has recently been transformed into a lush vacation resort. But for all its fancy renovations, the Woodsman remains a monument to its oppressive racist history, and there are rumors that can't be ignored. Whisperings that the ghosts of enslaved people roam the property, seeking vengeance on the descendants of those who tormented them, and many of those descendants are guests at Celine's wedding, so you can imagine (laughs) where this is going. So this is a horror novel for fans of Jordan Peele's movies, Get Out and Us, Uh, It is definitely about, you know, what happens when a black woman goes home to her hometown for a plantation wedding and then the horrors that ensue at said wedding. I know I'm just like my like whole body is tense reading this description. Um, And Megan Giddings, who's the author of Lakewood, compares the novel to Octavia Butler's Kindred and goes on to say that, quote, it reminds its readers that as long as people don't acknowledge how much of the past still shapes the present, it will bring its whips, its hatchets and fists to make us learn. End quote. Da, da, da. This is very intense. Yeah. So, again, that is When the Reckoning Comes by Latanya McQueen from HarperCollins. Keep an eye out for that if you are a horror fan, which I think many of y'all are. Yes, I'm raising my hands. (laughs) Yes, I know. (laughs) I know you're over there raising your hand. (laughs) All right. So, oh, right. So our grab bag. I feel, I know it says I'm supposed to go first, but I feel like I've been talking for 6,000 years, Sharifa. (laughs) So why don't don't you tell us your first pick for our our open season today? Sure. Well, I'm going to come skipping into the room with a book about a pandemic because that seems (laughs) to be like my nature and I don't even realize when I'm doing it. But I promise my next one will not be a pandemic style book. But I wanted to talk about Severance by Ling Ma, which is a great book. And I just thought of it, I think, because, um, you know, I've been thinking for various reasons about like what it is to be a millennial and also Mm. about like the, you know, what can be millennial drudgery. And this book is very much about this. It is a zombie book. So it takes place in New York and it stars Candace Chen, who's the protagonist. And when a plague happens, a plague, so it's it's different. It's a plague that breaks out. Um, Candace is so stuck in her routine that she barely even recognizes it's happening. So uh, this 
illness called Shen fever is spreading across the world. And it has this really weird effect on people where they're basically trapped in the routine. So this isn't a sort of zombie book where the zombies are chasing after people and, you know, tearing people apart and all that stuff. This is a zombie book that is very much about, like, people stuck in their routines. And so as we go, as we follow Candace through this story on her journey of survival, we get to see what happens to people who are struck with this fever. And we see them living out what looks like very mundane aspects of their life. So often when we get pictures of what's happening, it's like, you know, just every normal thing you might think of happening like in your day to day. But because it's on loop with these zombies, like it strikes you in a different way. It hits different. So if you've watched anything about zombies or read anything about zombies, you probably know that there's this sort of long history of the zombie novel as a kind of fable for societal ills and particularly the sort of drone-like behavior. Like, think of mall zombies, and people have a lot of different takes on that. Uh, for instance, I really like the short story in Nanakwame Ajay Brenya's Friday Black about this very mm. sort of thing about specifically about like mall zombies and like as <laughs> representations of something else. Um, and so Candace is living in this sort of world where people are stuck in routines and she's been so stuck in routine her entire life. Um, and then she has to kind of join this group of survivors who are led by a very power-hungry personality by the name of Bob. And of course, Bob is an IT tech. I th I found that of course, hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> uh, nothing, no, no insult to the IT techs out there. But <laughs> <laughs> so she has to join this, this band of survivors. And so they, they're traveling to this place called the facility. And according to Bob at the facility, they'll have everything they need to survive. Um, this new world and to rebuild society. But Candace, something happens to her and she has to keep this secret because, of course, like, who would trust Bob in this situation <laughs> fully? And uh, there's a lot of tension and anxiety that comes from Candace having to keep the secret from Bob and wondering if Bob is going to figure it out and what's going to happen to Candace. But um, this is just a really interesting, different take on the zombie novel. Sometimes I'm like, eh, like, haven't we had enough of these stories? But this was really different. There was a sort of gallows humor that I really enjoyed. There was a, a bit of sarcasm. It also had some aspects of Candace's uh, employment at one point in the story is with a publishing company. And, you know, as a book nerd and person who uh, hears a lot about the publishing world and deals with it a lot, I thought it was really hilarious the ways that the publishing world in the specific sector, especially that Candace is dealing with, how that was portrayed. I found it hilarious. There were moments where I was literally laughing and I was listening to the audiobook taking walks. So that was a bit embarrassing sometimes. But <laughs> I just thought it was like it was both really tense and terrifying, but also really funny, if that makes sense. It just struck that balance so well. And it is, you know, again, about this sort of late stage capitalism that millennials deal with on a day to day and how they respond to it, like, you know, um, broadly speaking, and the sort of uh, deadening, maddening feelings of being in a world that is so heavily reliant on capitalism. And it also goes into Candace's immigrant parents. Um, and assimilation in the United States and how capitalism relates to that as well. I just thought it it really covered a lot of significant and important and timely points. And I just really appreciated the story 
and was also terrified for Candace the whole time. So, <laughs> again, that was Severance by Ling Ma. Just a really great zombie read. I'm going to co-sign that. It was so good. And I remember recommending it on Get Booked for people who love Kurt Vonnegut because Ooh. I feel like it has that biting, sharp humor that's also very dark and, like you said, very gallows humory. Yeah. Yeah. Super, super co-sign all of everything you just said. That's great. <laughs> so uh, good. All right. Well, so my sci-fi pick is... Actually, the third book in a series, it is the third book in a trilogy that, well, so I'm going to pick, I'm picking the whole trilogy. Let's, let's do it that way. Mm-hmm. I'm picking the Celestial Trilogy by Sangu Mandana, and it is complete as of now. So, like, you're welcome. It's a completed series. <laughs> and it is so good. What this series is, is a space opera retelling of the Mahabharata, which is an Indian epic of, like, warring kingdoms and warring families. And the heroine, we get a heroine in this, uh, who is so great. I was telling one of our coworkers that one of the things I love about Esme is how angry she is and how that anger fuels her adventures in really interesting and thoughtful and nuanced ways. Um, and I think, like, thoughtful and nuanced is one of the words I would like to apply to this also very, like, action impact and like space battles and you know archery and sword fights and complicated betrayals and poisonings and you know political machinations like all of those things are happening and there's gods who are interfering and like everybody is you know suspect in some way or another there's no like real heroes there's no real villains like everybody is moving from different places of hurt and trauma and their own you know heroes of their own story as it were Mm. but it's so thoughtful about the way that it treats that and when you get to the finale it is so earned and it is so real about the impact of all of that you know explosion-y, sword-fight-y action on the psyche of the people involved. So, like, it's not like the war ends and then everything's fine, right? Like, that's not how it works. And we really get to see these characters evolve and come to understand the cost of whether they're seeking vengeance or they think their own rightful place or whatever it is that's driving them. Like, what does that cost both to themselves and to others? And it's just so freaking good. Like, it's, I really cannot say enough words about how much I love this trilogy. I really, having read the f- third book, I'm so tempted, again, do not have time, but I'm so tempted to go back and reread all of them in a row to really get, like, that fix because I've been reading them as they came out and they first came out, like, in 2018. So it's been a hot minute mm. since I read the first one. But if you love space opera, If you love retellings, if you love, like, you know, complicated heroines, and if you love tangly political fantasy and sci-fi, like, all of these things are in here. So, so, so good. So good. Did I say it was really good? It's really good. (laughs) I feel like I'm just a broken record. Um, The first book is A Spark of White Fire. And it's, like I said, I just, I don't know how else to tell you to read it. It's really great. Um, But yeah, so again, that's Sangu Mandana's uh, Celestial Trilogy. Bless you for bringing us a completed series. I know, right? It's it's a joy to behold a completed series. Yeah. Well, my next pick is very much in the vein of, like, watching Scream during the summer. It has that same feeling. It's a speculative sort of horror novel novella, actually. So it's a quick read. And it's Stephen Graham Jones' Night of the Mannequins, which is a story about a teen prank that goes wrong and the consequences and fallout of that prank. But it's about so much more. And I'm not going to spoil a lot, even though this is a very, very short book. Um, I'm not going to spoil too much. But the story follows Sawyer, who's a teenager, and his group of friends, J.R., Tim, Shauna, and Danielle. 
And it's very much like what you would imagine from like one of those nostalgic teen stories where it's this group of friends that's very tight knit. They're all very um, different sort of, but they have some commonalities. They're neighborhood kids and they go everywhere together. They do everything together and they have this really great summer uh, where they're all hanging out and it feels like one of those summers where it's like the culmination of something and probably the end of something too. But during this summer, they happen upon a mannequin and they name the mannequin Manny. And for what <laughs> like you do, like you do. And then for whatever reason, because they're teenagers, they decide to like sort of induct Manny into their squad. And so like in a sort of jokesy way, they bring him around everywhere with him. They dress him up. They, you know, they basically like talk to him in this very jokesy way. But then after this summer, um, all the things sort of change and... You know, the friends are dealing with their lives in various ways and kind of drifting apart. And Manny is also sort of left behind as like, well, this was a fun joke for one summer, but now all the things are changing. And so Manny comes back for a prank that the friends decide to uh, perform on some an employee an assistant manager a uh, manager at a local movie theater and so it's sort of like this revenge situation of getting back at this assistant manager so they bring out Manny and they plan this joke out and things do not go as they planned in <laughs> fact it goes terribly terribly wrong and Sawyer is at the center of this story, and he sort of decides that he has to fix things. He has to make things right. So this is a psychological horror novel or novella, and it's all written from the point of view of Sawyer, who very much has the voice of a teenager, um, like in all it with all its idiosyncrasies and you know weird ways of talking and sort of like coming straight from the mind uh sort of narrative so it's written from the point of view of Sawyer and Sawyer is on this sort of weird mission and you don't know why he's got this bee in his bonnet in such a deep way but it starts to become clearer and clearer and then you have Manny as this other side of the story and the whole thing culminates into this sort of popcorn teen slasher of a uh, story. And there are multiple film elements, as you might imagine, from Stephen Graham Jones. Um, it very much has this bit, this superhero narrative of like saving the day and coming to everybody's rescue and having to do what's right for everybody. There's also a lot of dark humor in this story as well. And there is this very deep revenge theme happening. But it's also like this coming-of-age story is really bittersweet in this sort of, like, unsettling way, I guess. Uh, <laughs> but it's—I would say even if you are, you know, afraid of horror stories, if you're a little bit hesitant about— reading horror stuff it doesn't it it's enough of that like popcorn horror that i think it's okay for people who are a little bit hesitant about horror and it's also fun in a disturbing way uh <laughs> would, would you say that it's more creepy than scary for example yes. yeah i would say okay. it's more unsettling like it definitely gotcha. has more of that psychological aspect um than like body horror and gore and like right it's just a little unsettling uh so i thought it was also a really fun read especially for summer if you like to like have your summer chills uh so again that was stephen graham jones and it was night of the mannequins that's a novella I'm just sitting here trying to remember the name of the movie that I saw as a kid in like the late 80s, early 90s. That was a rom-com about a mannequin that comes to life. Does that ring any <gasps> yes, bells? Yes. Um, um, oh, my goodness. I was just thinking about this movie. 
That's like I feel like that kind of like mannequins in particular are like and and stories about mannequins feel like a hallmark to me of like 90s kid nostalgia. I don't know why. You know what? I think that movie was just called Mannequin, was it? I think it might have been called Mannequin. I think you're right. <laughs> I'm like, I don't think this is, it was. I just looked it up. <laughs> what a journey. What a journey. Oh, All right. Great. Well, I'm going to have to read Night of the Mannequins now because yeah. I am feeling that 90s kid nostalgia in a big way. Uh, okay, so I have another soon-to-be-complete series for you because that's just the accidental theme of my picks today. <laughs> um, I This year, I read all of the Earth Singer Chronicles books by L. Penelope. The first one is The Song of Blood and Stone. And then number four, which is the final book, comes out on August 17th. So just like a week after you're hearing this, it's called Requiem. William of Silence. And let me tell you, this series is great fantasy, especially for people who like romance and fantasy blended together. Uh, each book features a different couple finding each other in amidst all of this really intense action and plot. And then with each subsequent book, you get those people as well as other people in their orbits. It's got beautiful platonic like squad goals, friendships. It's got beautiful romances. It's got queer folks. It's got folks of color. Like the representation in here is sweeping and lovely. And the plot is so intricate and interesting. It is a world that's like sort of technological. I want to say like, like they're like you know, air balloons and like trains um, and electricity, but like not too much more technology than that. So whatever time period that puts us in, you know, that's where that's sort of the level of technology involved. And there are these two kingdoms that have been separated by a magical wall for a while it, because of this big like you know, huge battle uh, with, like, powerful magic users and uh, all of this stuff. They've been separated by this magical veil. And now this mantle is coming down, and the ruler of one of the kingdoms, Lagrimar, who is also, like, an extremely powerful magic user, is going to try to seize power in Elsira, the other kingdom. And this is very bad because he is a tyrant of the worst sort. And our main character in the first one, Jasminda, is, like, living very quietly on her own. Um, she is sort of an outcast in Elsira because she has magic and Elsirans don't trust it. And she's also biracial, which is, like, a whole thing. And and then she meets this Lagrimari soldier who's also like, there's a spy situation and it's a whole like that everything sort of spirals out of this chance encounter. And they get caught up into this huge battle for the future of this world and like how will magic users be treated? How will the different racial dynamics come into play? How will, you know, all of these like centuries old divisions, can they be healed? And, you know, I think a lot of these questions are able to be mapped onto our present day, mm -hmm. as you might be thinking, um, which I think is a very deliberate choice on uh, El Penelope's part. Um, and, you know, I think the way she handles them is really smart because there aren't easy answers. And but also it is like a fiction series. So you want a satisfying resolution. Right. And I think she manages to do something really magical for lack of a better word and really well done and that feels really earned at the end and there aren't easy answers but these characters do come to some places that allow them to have hope and move forward despite all of the horrors that they've been through and let me tell you there's like you know there's like torture and harmed children and like people being coerced into using their magic against their will and like really intense um things going on in this just huge battle for power. Um, but she balances it so well with, you know, these romances, these friendships, and, you know, people like making sometimes not great choices, but trying their best. And then, you know, with the help of the people around them trying to move forward in ways that will help repair some of these divisions that have been affecting these two kingdoms for so long. And I just, like I said, it's really satisfying to have, again, a complete series, especially the way that I read this one 
one, which was like boom, 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 like because they were all available to me because of galleys. And so it was very cool to move quickly through that plot line and not have to wait. And so that's part of why I'm recommending it to you. Like if you need a summer reading project for the end of your summer, like this is a great place to go for that. And I can guarantee you that you will find a character in here, if not more than one, who you will get extremely attached to. (laughs) Um, I certainly have my favorites. They're not always the main characters. I love me a supporting character who exhibits like some surprising, interesting traits, right? Like I just love those. And I will also say there are novellas for this series that I have not read yet that take place in between the main four novels that then go into some of these supporting characters stories. So like, in addition to having four full-length books, you have a bunch of novellas that give you more of those supporting characters, which are on my TBR list. I haven't had time to get to them yet, but I hope to soon. Because I think Al Penelope knows exactly what she did to us with these characters um, and is trying to like give us as much as she can of their stories. So again, the whole series is called The Earth Singer Chronicles. The first one is The Song of Blood and Stone, and the fourth book is out on August 17th, so very soon, so get cracking on that. Those are great picks. I love them all. Yay! And that's our show! Another show. It's over. Another show. We did it. Uh, thank you for joining us on this rambling, unthematic journey that we've been on today. Uh, thanks also go out to our sound editor, D.R. Baker, for making us sound great each and every episode. If you need even more book recommendations, because of course you do, you can get those at bookriot.com. You can also find our other podcasts at bookriot.com slash listen. And if you want to email us, you can do that, sffyeah, at bookriot.com. You can send us theme ideas, questions, feedback, all of that good stuff. We'd love to see it. Uh, Cosplay pictures. We have some new ones in there. Thank you, Bonnie. (laughs) Fun stuff. Pet pictures. We'll take those, too. Uh, If you would like to leave a review of us on your podcatcher platform, if that's a thing you can do, I think Apple and maybe Google allow it, uh, go forth and do that. That helps other people to find us. And speaking of finding us, in between shows, you can find us online. Sharifa, where are you at? I'm on Instagram at Sina Williams. That's S-Z-A-I-N-A-B Williams. And you can find me on Twitter and Tumblr at Jen IRL, J-E-N-N-I-R-L. And you can find me on Instagram at I am Jen IRL. And we will talk to you next time. <laughs>